You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee. And and I am Paul Doroshenko. Yes, my willing co-host. Absolutely. Let's get into it. Well, I guess we should start with the... um, Today I'm going to start with the ridiculous driver of the week that has basically gained media attention all through the province. Yeah, I was called by CTV. You were called by Global... Um, it was all over the place and, and it started off radio. with a fairly, yeah. Did you give that interview too? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, pretty funny. So what is careless driving in BC? We call careless driving, driving without due care and attention, but careless driving goes way back to a statute from, uh, England and then was, uh, brought to Canada, copied and modified. And when it came to BC, it contemplated a number of things, including, driving in four lanes of traffic, speeding, eating with chopsticks out of a bowl. Yeah, and like not having your hands on the steering wheel or maybe having two fingers on the steering wheel. I know exactly what this is all about because I remember eating in my TR6 like 30 years ago when I worked for the auto trader driving around Edmonton. You've definitely bragged to me that you can eat with chopsticks while driving. A manual transmission sports car. And I'm, I mean, I'm saying I could do it then. And it's not that it was a safe thing to do or a wise thing to do, but I, you know, I lived in my car at the time because I drove around all day uh, for that job. And um, I used to stop at the Bulgogi house and, and get myself some kimchi and, uh, and uh, pickled bean sprouts and, and rice and eat it while I drove. Well, that is incredibly dangerous and foolish. And careless. Mm-hmm. It's driving without due care and attention. But is it, Paul? This is my thinking on it. See, the law says, like there's all these old legal rules from like old dusty law book times, that if you have a general provision that captures a broad array of conduct and is more punitive and you have a specific provision that prohibits a specific type of conduct and is less punitive, it's actually unjust to charge somebody with the general offense when the specific one applies. Well, I think we should talk about the facts in this particular case and yes. then let people decide. So the, the driver's name Jackson or something like that? Yes. And uh, the decision was just released. It was from uh, Judicial Justice Burgess. A very well-reasoned decision, I thought. Even tone uh, and fair from a case that took place where it was Kelowna. Kelowna, yep. Constable Um, Need. And the driver, uh, Ms. Jackson, was driving along eating with chopsticks out of a bowl at um, 10 kilometers an hour over the speed limit, which she admitted to during the course of the trial and cross-examination, but she indicated that she still had control, safe control of the vehicle. She didn't seem to realize that admitting to speeding is admitting to speeding. She could have been convicted of speeding on the basis of that. Uh, One kilometer an hour over the speed limit is speeding. Nobody is ever charged when they're one kilometer an hour over the speed limit. Yeah, I mean, the... 
and she wasn't charged with speeding. No. Um, that, uh, that wasn't the charge that was laid against her. She disputed that she was speeding and she said, you know, I was only going 10 over and she got a little bit roasted by the JJP for that. I didn't um, think he was, he didn't roast her. He was well, very fair. Well, I mean, it was unnecessary. It wasn't, there was no need to include that commentary because she wasn't charged with speeding. No, so but I, I thought it say was. it's a little yeah. bit of a roast. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Bit you of know, a roast. It, it was it, unnecessary, it, but I mean, it was. It was born out of, I think, the frustration that JJPs have with conducting speeding ticket trials where people take the stand and go, oh, I don't know. I was only going five or 10 over. And like, they expect that they're not going to get a ticket. And it's true most people won't get a ticket if they're going five or ten over in that the police don't bother to enforce that for lots of reasons not all of them have to do with what people think like oh the margin of error in a laser or radar is 10 kilometers and that's why no the margin of error is two um it's 10 because the police don't have time to pull everybody over well they also i mean the, the, the... I thought you weren't going to go into the reasons. Yeah, Let's well, not go into the reasons. Let's not go into the reasons. We'd do that another day. You but the point is the, the common perception is that it's not an offense to drive 10 kilometers an hour over the speed limit. That is not true. If you're driving eight kilometers an hour over the speed limit, the police will probably not ticket you. And even 10, they will probably not ticket you, but you're still committing the offense. Mm -hmm. And so you're saying that the JJP put that in there, born of frustration for people who come to trial. And say, but I was only driving five over. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, yeah. you know, and I think I would, understandable that there would be that frustration because. But I think he was fair about it. I don't think it was necessary. Okay. And it makes her look worse. Look, look at the, look at the coverage. I mean, do you want to be Kareen Jackson today? No. No, I don't think so. No, I no. guess. Yeah. yeah. So why should be, she be knocked for driving, at least in that part of her driving, in a way that was consistent with the way everybody else on the road was going? Well. In the end, um, the JJP was um, careful to point out that you can eat and drive in British Columbia. Sure. You can be driving down the road eating hamburger. Handheld foods. This is my legal advice that I gave in my interview. They asked, what can you eat while driving? Handheld foods. Anything that you can, you know, hold in one hand that doesn't require you You don't to... need a fork. I was just thinking like a straw connected, you know, maybe run up your arm. Yeah, sure. And hot soup through a straw. I actually always enjoyed hot tomato soup through a plastic straw. I miss plastic straws. They don't exist out there. I still have some at home. Yeah, I do my too. Collection. For my hot tomato soup. Mm. Um, it's been so rainy here that we've, we should have had soup days in the last couple of days. Mm -hmm. I think we'll have... If this is Friday and you're listening to the... Uh, the podcast we're probably going to have a soup day kyla's shaking her head no soup no soup for me hmm. you always have soup days when i can't have soup and then oh. i come back and i get the scraps we have an instapot in the office and we have a we get these nor soups and so we have big soup days so usually soupy tuesday yeah it's not that's not tuesday so i know but it'll be friday because it's going to be a rainy day anyway back to don't drive while you're eating soup but um I thought he was fairly, I thought it was, it was a very even decision. I, I guess, yes, you're right. It was unnecessary to put that in, but, and it was born of frustration. And I understand that. I prefer not to see, uh, judges or justices, um, um, taking a shot at somebody in a decision. But the, um, the point though, in the end, he was very careful to say, you can still eat. Mm-hmm. 
Just don't eat with something that requires both of your hands so you can have a hand on the wheel. And, going and I think back... you can go further than that. I think you can go further than that and say there are circumstances where you should have both hands on the wheel, like heavy rain. You shouldn't be eating a hamburger then. Uh, if it's um, if you're in stop and go traffic in the snow, uh, you probably shouldn't be eating. You should probably have both hands on the wheel. Going back to what I was saying, I think that had she been represented by counsel, a different argument would have been made. And I think there was a problem here, as we see often in traffic court, is that she was not represented by a lawyer. She was self-represented. And so she didn't consider the legal arguments. And I don't understand why the police officer had to go with the most punitive charge. Yeah, okay, she was eating. She had both hands occupied while she was behind the wheel. There's an offense for that. It's section 195, subsection 1, subsection A. Driving with controls obstructed? Driving with controls obstructed. A little-known provision of the Motor Vehicle Act, um, but one that is totally applicable in those circumstances, and I know it, thanks to a Burnaby RCMP officer who ticketed my client for drive without due care and attention for eating with chopsticks while driving. This actually happened. And I came to court and I was like, really? And she said, yeah, I'll reduce it to controls obstructed. And I was like, yeah, because that's exactly what it is. That's, I can't like not agree to that. Well, interesting, because I know you posted that on Twitter and you had people who were sort of coming at you for that, or there was some questioning whether or not that was appropriate. And you, you, persuaded me now. I have persuaded you. persuaded me yeah. because the, uh, the, the thing with the 144 ticket is it's so harsh. So harsh. Six points. Six demerits, 368 bucks, driver risk premium, whatever insurance driver consequences. Penalty point premium and then whatever. an automatic insurance increase. Yeah. So pretty harsh and it's uh, often a euphemism for an impaired driving charge that couldn't be proven because we've, you know, so many lawyers in the province have very carefully dissected impaired driving investigations and persuaded Crown Council to accept a uh, driving without due care and attention as something as a lesser offense. So I've literally stood in court probably a thousand times in my career. Yeah, I mean, you text me like every day, 144 at 144. That's a start running joke. Yeah. It happens but to be a section of the Motor Vehicle Act that we understand very well, and it's been like a... a essential component of my career. Yeah, and if I needed to park, I look for stall 215 or stall 144 um, before moving on to like 146, 148. 20 years of defending traffic offenses, and I've never lost a 144 ticket, but the vast majority of them, I've done the same thing as you, where I've gone to the police officer and I've said, well, hang on, this is really following too closely, or this is really unsafe lane change, or this is really, you know... There's, yeah, there's often the another specific, offense, yeah. and very often I see that the police charge 144 just because it seems like a catch-all. And you're right; it didn't, you know, the catch-all applied in this case. Um, that was the finding of the court. But was it necessary to go that hard, uh, that harsh? Yeah, I mean, you have an opportunity as a police officer to educate the driver on safer driving habits. And if they come to court and they say, like, here I am, I'm disputing this ticket, why not take your opportunity to say, well, here's a little bit of education, but I'm going to cut you a break because you're learning a lesson here. 
I can proceed with this 144 ticket because it is, as far as I'm concerned, and I think in the scope of the law, driving without due care and attention. But there's another offense that you could plead guilty to that would be less um, difficult and painful for you down the road if you want to go that route. Yeah, that would be the, the thing to have done. Mm-hmm. But yep. that's what we do. That's what we do in traffic court. Well, that's what, what, what uh, Peter Sankoff uh, from the Animal Law Podcast Friend of the Driving Law Podcast, uh, thanks to Camille Lapchuk, who's been on twice. Um, the Animal Law Podcast, Paw and Order, uh, said to me, he said, well, that's what you would have done <laughs> if yeah. you had been her lawyer. And, or yeah, any she, of the other lawyers in our office. Or yeah. Many other lawyers yeah. around. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, this is... This is why you hire a lawyer. I mean, I don't, you know, this isn't a sales pitch for me. You can hire whoever you want, but like hire a lawyer if you get a heavy duty ticket. It is the most heavy duty ticket in the Motor Vehicle Act. Yes, that's right. The only thing that approximates it is excessive speeding, but that has $368 fine and only three points. But it comes with the seven day impound. But it, yeah, it's, I mean, it's. It's just short of the criminal charge, which is why it is so often used as the step down from a criminal dangerous driving or impaired driving. Yeah. I mean, I would say that a properly laid 144 often comes with an impound as well, because you'll have that in, in circumstances of stunting, street racing, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, For a while, when that um, came out, that was early in my career, about three years in. That ha- we had that every two weeks. We had somebody who was charged with uh, where they had impounded the vehicle mm-hmm. uh, with an allegation of stunting or something along that line, and then just it no longer became the the thing that was on the mind of the police when they saw people doing stupid things. But it also wasn't people doing stupid things. It was also like nonsense, like spinning your tires on a wet road in a pickup truck with front wheel drive that doesn't have Rear weight in the back or whatever, drive, whatever, yes. you know what I mean? Yeah. That doesn't have any weight in the back. And you're like, of course the tires are going to spin. I have two pickup trucks. I feel oppressed. Let's move on to the <laughs> next topic. All right. Um, thank you for dictating the course of my podcast. Well, you know, Kyla, just, I'm here to mansplain to you how to run your podcast. I mean, I didn't want to say anything, but... No, uh, <laughs> sorry. I, sometimes I just want to move on, okay? Well, I'm going to revive our speeding discussion to some extent, because oh. although we were talking about speeding, one of the topics I did have planned for us tonight was about speeding, because there's a huge discrepancy in Canadian law right now between the provinces, um, which is interesting, about whether or not police officers have to provide evidence of having done tuning fork tests to check that their radar instruments that they use to measure speed mm-hmm. are functioning properly in accordance with manufacturer specifications at the beginning of each shift before relying on it for enforcement action. Yeah, it surprises me because this is in all the manuals for the devices. Yeah. And the RCMP radar training manual. In BC. Well, no, that radar training manual is one that I got from uh, from Depot uh, in Regina, and that was for everybody across the country. Yeah, but they don't do it in Saskatchewan anymore. They don't do it in Saskatchewan. In Ontario, they don't need a tracking history, I yeah, understand. Yeah, OPP doesn't do it. No, and this is really a, like, people seem to have lost track of how significant a speeding ticket is 
Um, it's kind of like they, they're saying we don't have to have good evidence anymore because it's, it's just a speeding ticket. Speeding tickets are, have significant consequences for people. You can lose your license, obviously, as a result of it. It's got major insurance consequences. Uh, and a lot of people are, you know, they, they are strict and careful not to speed. Uh, and they are pulled over and they feel stigmatized and they spend years upset about it. Yeah, and your driving record is forever. So as In soon BC, as it... your driving record is forever. Well, anywhere. If you get charged in Alberta, they'll have your driving record back to the 80s too. Do they? I don't know oh, that. Yeah, yeah. I haven't seen that. Yeah, I've seen it. Mm. In BC, it used to just be your five-year driving record was uh, available to the prosecutors, and then uh, some prosecutors pushed to have the full driving record. Now we see driving records going back to the 70s. Yeah, I know. Where's the fun? You just have to be good for five years, and then you can forget about it. I know. You could clean it. it up. You could clean up your reputation. You could, you know, feel like you moved on from your tainted youth, uh, and now they hold it against you for forever, and you could have 20 years with perfect driving record but you have something go wrong and you find yourself in court and they pull this thing out it's just like it's you know we have this leftover christian belief in forgiveness uh it is you know perpetuates other other parts of our life and our society and then here we've decided to throw that out like <laughs> yeah, there's no forgiveness anymore <laughs> And uh, that frustrates me. It hurts me. I think it's wrong. I think it's not human. Anyway, back to tuning forks. <laughs> I was like, Sorry. where are the tuning forks? No, I'm just like, I'm, I'm <laughs> passionate is, about it. I don't want to be, I don't your... want I had a bad driving record in Alberta when I was a young guy. I went years without having a bad driving record because I wanted to clean up my driving record. I lost my license for having a bad driving record. So a lot of I. my clients are always like, oh, you don't know what it's like. No, actually... I do know what it's like. I, I My license was taken away for having too many speeding tickets. I was lead foot Lee. Like, I mean, I get it. And I lived in a rural area and I had two jobs and a bunch of after school theater commitments and church theater and community theater. And I was a real nerd. Um, and I had no car. I know. Well, I had to work. I was working for the auto trader. That's when I lost my license for a month. Yeah, I had to walk with my from my high school with my trombone uh, all the way to my my job. It was like a twenty minute walk. I had a two hour bus ride each I was way. So ripped. <laughs> I, yeah. I had a two hour bus ride each way, and uh, somebody drove me once, and I had to like walk sixteen blocks home, and I was like, oh god, this is so much better than the two hour bus ride. I'll walk the sixteen blocks. The person wouldn't drive. <laughs> I still Fair remember enough. it. I remember looking at my car out back every day and thinking, fuck, God, I wish I could drive. Anyway, I spent years cleaning up my driving record. But the point is, you can see, both for you and I, how significant it is to have a ticket. And if you are wrongly charged, it is hurtful. Mm -hmm. My grandfather was wrongly charged with an offense, a driving offense. Man, I think it took years off his life. Um, he, he was ultimately acquitted. But it was, it took years off his life. I watched the pain he went through. So to not be using those steps in my mind to ensure you've got a reliable, reliable reading, uh, is just offensive because it's just like they're skipping over the evidentiary requirement. Well, it's also like a cynicism almost on the part of the police and the court that they're assuming that if you get a ticket, you must be guilty. And also presuming that the police are so good that they would never 
issue a ticket to somebody who wasn't speeding, even though they were using a device that they hadn't checked for calibration. And even though in some jurisdictions, they also don't require a tracking history. Which brings me to my general cynicism about the way the police have been viewed increasingly by the courts in the course of my career as a defense lawyer. I think the police often get a free ride, and I didn't see that when I started off. When I st first started running trials, you'd raise a reasonable doubt, there was a reasonable doubt, and you'd sit down. Um, and I don't feel that that's the same anymore. I think you have to basically beat the dead horse. Um, the, uh, the judge would, you know, you'd get a sense from them fairly quickly that you've established what you had to establish, and that was it and you'd move on. And I think the police now get a real free ride. And um, I don't know why, what the change is, but I have, I speculate about it. Doroshenko, I do not give them a free ride. You don't, but you beat the dead horse. You, you, <laughs> hey, you know. hey well, now. hang on. No, I mean, <laughs> now it, like when I started practicing, you didn't have to do all of the things that you do. I mean, mm -hmm. you take police officers and you're hard on them in cross-examination and so am I, but not as, well, yes. as hard as you. Senior lawyers will often tell me, you know, you shouldn't take that, that, you know, shotgun approach. You even tell me this or used to tell me this. You should pick your one good issue and litigate that. And I think to myself, I'm here to represent my client, my role is to do the best I can and to explore every possible angle and to make every possible application and exhaust every possible defense to try and prevent this person from being convicted. And if I don't do that, if I don't, you know, plead every potential charter violation and cross-examine on every ch potential charter violation, I am not doing my duty to my client. And I can't have faith that if I hang my hat on one thing, the court's going to go, I agree with you. Because all it takes is the judge to say, I don't agree with you. Then your client's convicted. And you may have had something else that well, the judge would have agreed thing. to. You get the, the you get the dressing down for doing too much. Yeah. Well, I'm um, sorry I did if you too didn't much. Do, if you didn't do enough when it was abundantly obvious to you that you've established what you needed to do. Uh, and you lose, you're sitting there going, I, I should have beat the fucking dead horse. Like, yep. and I see your method. I mean, and I have, <laughs> I agree with you now because this is the way that things have changed over the course of my career. You're a convert. Um, to I'm, I'm a convert. Well, I was always a convert. I was, I was the one who invented the shotgun approach. Okay. I mean, other lawyers have done it too, but, um, there's lots of times I went in running trials thinking, uh, you know, and these are all impaired driving trials we're talking about, um, if this argument doesn't work, then maybe this argument's going to work. If this argument doesn't work, then maybe this argument's going to work. I saw a judge the other night at an event, and the first thing that came to mind was, I remember running three arguments in front of you. Two of the three were really good. The third one was not really good. Thank goodness you latched on to the third one yeah. and acquitted my client. I mean, you never I'll take know. Whatever, I'll take whatever I can get. You I mean, never know what's the thing that's really bothering the judge about the evidence. You know, we had that trial up well, in, in Masset where at the end of of the cross and the the direct and the cross and then the redirect of, of the officer, the judge was like, why on earth did you take a bag of bras? I'm like, oh, yeah. the bras mattered to you. Okay. Well, it's, and it's funny because, yeah, that's true. You, you know, you can be a judge and you can zone out for a minute at the important time, what the lawyer thinks is the important time. And you might be listening at some 
you know, be very focused at some other time. You're just a human with a human brain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's part of the part of the reason. But you know, there's I remember running a trial once in, with a retired judge in North Vancouver where I made these three arguments and it was sort of my last hook argument. Um, I'd kind of laid in the laid there and let him discover it. Um, and uh, the other arguments were just as good, I think, but I just got a sense of which argument was going to work. But the that's the shotgun approach, but the shotgun approach, you do the shotgun approach and you do the, the beat the dead horse yeah. shotgun approach where, just talk- where you just keep hitting that, hitting that evidence, hammering it in so it doesn't always work, but there's no. lots of times that it's you really make the point and, you know, again, I'm always sold, but I'm an easy sale. Yeah. <laughs> you you got a healthy dose of reasonable doubt and uh, and bad policiness on charter. I guess I've read enough files that I... I've read enough files that weren't charge approved or that were IRPs that... <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's part of... There is a real... I mean, we've we've deviated significantly from tuning forks, but there is a real problem with the fact that in British Columbia, we don't prosecute impaired driving to the same extent as any other province that we deal with it by way of the IRP scheme. You know, it used to be the the thing, you know, the vast majority of people who are otherwise good contributing members of society, law-abiding citizens with families and normal lives, and usually decent incomes, um, are coming before the court. That's how they end up there. You don't, by and large, see them charged with other types of offenses. And so there are people that are relatable on a human level to judges, and they are being dealt with almost exclusively by state agents and the state exerting control over them. And so I think to some extent you have, as a judge, you're like, well, that could be me. And subconsciously, I expect that that influences the way that charter rulings happen in impaired driving cases. But if we're not litigating them, the judge doesn't see a prevalence of them. So they don't know that the likelihood that that could be them is so significant. So that isn't the backdrop against which they're making the decision. And then you're only seeing, generally speaking now in British Columbia, the worst of the worst being charged. High blood alcohol readings, accidents, extremely bad driving, uh, people who are very intoxicated, deaths and bodily harm. So you're seeing all the bad facts and that makes you more, I think, accommodating towards overreaching conduct on the part of state agents or potentially over where what would once be called overreaching conduct on the part of state agents because you have you have these facts that are oftentimes horrific i i know you and i have discussed this this was this has been some of our lunchtime discussion at some point back in the days when we used to be able to have lunch once a week and i think it's the same for speeding tickets i think that's your i think your point is there i mean we have actually i don't know i don't think we ever left it um, the point was the cynicism mm-hmm. uh, and the uh, assumption in the infallibility or close to infallibility of the police. And this is a major problem in my view. And I like the cynicism of judges beforehand um, that had filtered down probably because they had witnessed um, other governments with police states 
uh, and maybe they were more informed about the international situation and historic problems with policing. Or they remember being in Canada before the charter? Well, and they also grew up poor, a lot of them on the farm, um, and were now judges, you know, grow up in wealthy families, go to private schools, send their kids to private schools, and then... Not become... all judges. No, but a lot of them. Um, look, how many of them are, like, white? <laughs> okay. Um, it's still, like, a grossly disproportionate number compared to the rest of society. Mm-hmm. Um, and but we talk... do have gender parity on our Court of Appeal. With gender parity, yes, I know. I heard that the other night. That but made me very happy. But we are so far off having a representative uh, judiciary of of our population's ethnic diversity um, that it's actually disgusting to me. I, I, I'm, I am angry about it. Yeah, and as I said the last time you said that to me, um, welcome to what we've been saying for so long. Like, where well, are the people that look like us? No, I know. Or that look like what I look like on the inside? I know, but 20 years ago when I was in law school and I finished law school, we had a fairly diverse group of people in law school, and that was Edmonton, which was pretty white. And I figured I would get out into the bar and that it, there would be some representation. Here we are 20 years later, uh, and we're still, it's like just overwhelming white faces um, who are not representative of the population. Yeah, but look at the straight up fucking bullshit that's happening. And I'm sorry to use the term fucking bullshit, but it's straight up fucking bullshit that's happening in Ontario. Like the Law Society was like, hey, y'all got to get a statement of principles that says you don't discriminate. Just, just assure us that you have some type of statement in your office, whatever words you want, that says you're not going to discriminate based on like race or, or gender or sexual orientation. Here, and you could adopt our statement that we've got that we'll here, rate, give you as a sample. Here's a sample or write your own. Just check a box. Yes or no. We'll never check up on it. We'll just take you at your word. And it caused utter chaos because all of these people didn't want to have to say that they don't discriminate. And so much so that they ran on a slate, won a majority in their bencher elections, and then having won that majority successfully, as of yesterday, repealed the statement of principles. So now, implicitly, it's okay to be a discriminatory douche if you're a lawyer in Ontario. And that, to me, like, if you don't see faces that don't look white in your courts, then you're gonna think that that whole shit is appropriate. Well, and you're going to think that, that that if you're not white, you're going to be there thinking to yourself, okay, this is not my welcome place. I mean, I, I, I have my own circumstances as a person with a Ukrainian last name that I've uh, watched not a whole lot of people with Ukrainian last names in my profession or on the bench. Um, and, um, you know, there's historic discrimination that I've experienced in my father's experience and I've heard about it from the family and other people um, and it still continues to exist mm-hmm. but the uh, and I and I never feel like it's my place well you know it's interesting because you said that to me a couple days ago and it was the first time you'd ever told me about like to talk an about experience <laughs> that you've had like that and then um, I thought I, you know it's I, I guess I mean you know you don't look like any different but you do have the name Doroshenko, so that was kind of a clue. Um, and then I was talking to somebody else about a friend of mine who's a lawyer, 
who is of uh, Eastern European background, who speaks with an accent, and I'm not going to say who, but it was, we, I met somebody new and found out that we both had this person as a mutual friend. And the person I'd met said that my friend would probably have gotten a job at a big firm, cushy job, making lots of money, but for the fact that they speak with a an accent and look like a very stereotypical presentation of an Eastern European person. And that, you know, I was like, huh, you know, okay, Paul's told me this thing and now I'm hearing this and this actually makes perfect sense. It was made clear to me at times in my life that uh, there's people in positions of power who think I should be a farmer as a result of my last name. Well, I mean, sometimes you do go around going, I wish I could just quit this all and be a farmer. That's true. <laughs> so you a, brought it on yourself. I have a yourself. collection of farm engines. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. No, I mean, I, look, I, the, the history of my family before my dad is is farming. You, you always so go my dad, on. My dad wanted to leave the farm and my same with my baba and move to the city. But yeah, You're just, I'm a simple Albertan farmer, Kyla. I don't know what. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, I guess, has been drilled into my head in some respects. And, and I was told that by the people with the whitey anglo names yes well anyway um moving on from discrimination from discrimination from tuning forks from discrimination uh because we mentioned gender parity on the court of appeal it's a nice segue into a recent judgment by the court of appeal now you remember last year our 420 gift to british columbia oh yes well so... the bc supreme court giveth and the Court of Appeal taketh away. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm at a bit of a loss for this. I haven't read the Court of Appeal decision. The Supreme Court decision made complete sense to me. So what happened was, uh, Kyla ran a um, judicial review of a 24-hour driving prohibition uh, because it was not served anywhere contemporaneously, like near the road. So the it was served at the police station. It was served at the police station, and the Motor Vehicle Act seems to me very clear that it's got to be served to a person who is a driver. Yeah, it says, if at any time or place on a highway or industrial road, a peace officer has blah, 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 the peace officer may uh, serve on the person in notice of prohibition. And to me, that is clear legislative intent to do it at the roadside for the purpose of taking somebody off the road there and then. Yep, Madam and, Justice Burke agreed. And I, I, I mean, I, I don't see how it's not clear. And I understand the desire to have some other provision that lets you say, okay, I don't want to let this guy go and continue to drive now that I've brought him back to the detachment, assessed him, come to the conclusion that mm, it seems like a pretty good chance, but not much, you know, not a beyond the reasonable doubt that there's something going on here that should lead me to conclude that this person shouldn't drive. And, you know, it just says alcohol or a drug. I think you could expand that. I think there could be legislation to go beyond that. Too tired too fatigued, too ill. Sure, whatever, um, anything. Too but, Ukrainian. But I, thanks. Um, <laughs> I've heard that a few times in my life. Um, the, the, um, but the, no, but the, the, the point is that, you know, send it back to the legislature to tell them, write a law for those other circumstances that you want to deal with and have this law for this circumstance. Sure, I mean, that was my submission. Don't like it? change the law. They're the attorney general. They can do it. Does it feel like the Court of Appeal just wants to rewrite the laws for the legislature in this province? No. It feels like the Court of Appeal doesn't like it when I say, I don't know if they don't like it. Maybe they could change it. 
So what happened? Because it's not did the first time I've made that submission. Yes. You argued this at the Court of Appeal. I argued this at the Court of Appeal. Um, the, did you have three people nodding? Was it gender parity no. on the Court of Appeal? Um, I don't remember. The panel, the decision was written by Madam Justice Bennett, um, who is a former criminal lawyer. So, I mean, we're not talking about... Somebody who doesn't get it? Yeah. Um I believe there were two women and one man on the panel. Um, but the... I think they should only be criminal, former criminal lawyers. Well, that's your opinion. Yeah. I'm sure the family law cases and the civil law cases and the commercial law cases that go to the Court of Appeal would have a real problem with that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have a clue. What to, um, I no. wouldn't have a clue about those. So fun. their entire reason for overturning the judgment was that it wouldn't make sense because it would essentially exempt people from getting 24 hours in circumstances where public safety was legitimately an issue. Like, for example, if there was a reason the officer couldn't have a person uh, stop their vehicle on the roadway and they had to move them off the roadway, not just off the traveled portion of the roadway, but off the roadway altogether into a field, then how? what do you do? You can't serve them a 24-hour prohibition? What if they're in an accident and they're injured and they need to be taken to the hospital? You know, there's a public safety concern. And then what do you do? Can't serve them a 24-hour prohibition. I mean, if you're taken to the hospital after an accident, you're probably not driving in the next 24 hours. But they didn't seem to latch onto that. Um, and so I get it. Like, it makes sense if you look at the purpose of the legislation, which is to protect public safety. They did leave a crack when they... You know, they didn't just slam the door in my face. They left it open a crack. Um, and they did say that there still has to be a sufficiently strong connection to driving. So basically, if you had an investigation where somebody was stopped, somebody was investigated, impaired driving became an issue, they were arrested, taken back to the detachment, breast samples provided or DRE evaluation conducted, and then served the prohibition. There's your, you know, nice little line that you can draw from driving to service a sufficiently strong connection to driving. But there's lots of circumstances where there isn't going to be a sufficiently strong connection to driving. And this is actually going to open the door for more challenges to 24-hour prohibitions because the police have to submit a report to superintendent. Oh, yeah, okay. And those reports are frequently just blank. And although the onus is on the driver to prove why the prohibition should be revoked, the Court of Appeal in Lemieux on the constitutional challenge to the reverse onus provisions in version three of the IRP scheme said that an applicant can discharge their burden. And this is at paragraph 60 for anybody listening and wants to borrow this. An applicant can discharge their burden by pointing to a flaw in the underlying documentation or by providing evidence. So if you have a blank report, you could say there's no sufficiently strong connection to driving on a highway or industrial road. Therefore, I am not a driver as that has been defined and interpreted by the Court of Appeal. So no, I don't feel so bad. Stop talking because you've just, if police officers are careful and they scroll back and listen to, in the, to this uh the listen what, to what you right just evidence? The, listen to what you just explained they will do it all correctly yeah and as it stands right now as i think about it they're probably all doing it incorrectly all of them um well those who have, who are issuing it later if you get a report that's been filled uh, you're probably out. your safest thing still is to fill it out at the roadside but that that now i see creates another argument or another problem in impaired driving investigations. Potentially. And, yeah. 
So. Although, um, I actually, we've got about five minutes to spend on that problem. You yeah. think it creates a problem related to delay. Well, I don't want to go into that problem. I want to wait to see whether it comes out. And I don't know, you know, I have to think it through too. I know I told you in like the 20 seconds as we were walking up the stairs to the, mm -hmm. to the Acumen Law studio yeah. tonight. I've worked it through in my brain now. No, I'm sure I you have. I case law and I can, I can think of, <laughs> I can think of some too as I, you know, I can still see it being a problem. I just think it's not, it would have to play out in a very specific way for it to be a problem. You'd have to have a really good cross-examination. Well, you might be able to pull it off one day. But, um, yeah, I know I see your, your point on the lack of evidence in the current setup um, that uh, it could lead to more 24-hour driving prohibitions being revoked. What I don't like is, once again, I feel like the court, instead of um, accepting that there's a problem and saying, legislature, fix the problem, they've decided to say, oh, you know what, we just have to read in to fix up the problems that we see, that we think. So instead of, you know, deferring to the legislature again, I, you know, I say defer to the legislature unless it's a charter violation. Instead of deferring to the legislature again and the power of our parliament to make the laws, not the courts, uh, the courts are once again going, oh, well, it would be wrong. It would be illogical. It would be, well, you know what? That was something for debate in the legislative assembly. That is something for the government to look at, to pass laws about. And I, I am opposed to our courts um, supplanting, replacing um, the opinion of the legislation, legislature. It's undemocratic in my mind. But as the Court of Appeal found in this case, this was the intention of the legislature. Yeah, see, I don't think so on a plain reading of the legislation. Well, look, so. if you can persuade the Supreme Court of Canada to revisit the question of how one engages in statutory interpretation. Oh, no, we're lost. I mean, this is this point is lost. Just I accept apart it. from the modern approach. No, I accept it. I accept it. I just, uh, I think it's wrong. You know, just because I think it's wrong doesn't mean anybody else is going to accept my view of it. I just am a firm believer in democracy. But speaking of the Supreme Court of Canada and persuading them of crazy driving <clears throat> law things, going back to our tuning forks topic, that is potentially an issue the Supreme Court of Canada would and could hear. Nah. Yes, yes, because one of the things that constitutes an issue of national importance... Is that a different, different, different application of the rules and different in provinces. In different provinces. So, if anybody wants to take it to the Supreme Court of Canada... It has to be somebody from another province, a province where they don't do... Who's lost their ticket. don't have that requirement, who's lost their so ticket in a province other than British Columbia where we still require the police to actually do a good job. Yeah, and a, a case where there is tuning fork evidence that wasn't led and the argument was made. Okay, so um, probability of that coming our way is pretty slim. Pretty slim. So it's not going to happen. Um, but even if it did, we'd probably end up with our supreme court we would end up with um like multiple different decisions probably five different opinions cool it's no certainty in the law eh, cool fine for you youthful lawyers who want to go argue these things i like my you know old shtick that i used to have where i yeah. knew my impaired driving law i would run my trials or i would sort it out with the prosecution and i knew my stuff I was talking to a nice uh, older lawyer 
I'm not that old. I'm 51. I look like I'm 36, but I'm 51. Um, 36 is pushing it. Okay, all right. I look like I'm 49, but I'm 51. Anyway, the um, and uh, it was at the same event where I saw that judge, and I started talking to him about some of the changes in the legislation, and you know, here he was, you know, not aware of this and this and this. And I realize that I'm not aware of probably a lot of things, too, that have changed. And that's just the nature of the game. And it's unfortunate. And you worry about, you know, where you're going to blow it. I remember years ago, there was a, a nice older lawyer called me and said, what, what, my client says he's got a one-year driving prohibition after this dangerous driving. Yep. Yeah. You plead guilty. You're found guilty. You're found uh, guilty and given an absolute discharge in British Columbia. You get a one-year automatic driving prohibition by operation of law pursuant to Section 99 of the Motor Vehicle Act. And people don't know that, and it's unfortunate because, you know, you think that you've made a great deal for your client. Often it's a very good deal for your client, depending on the circumstances, if you can get your client a one-year driving prohibition and beats the hell out of a criminal record. However. Well, there you go. Paul Doroshenko's wisdom at the end of the podcast. Pontificating. If you have a driving law issue or a tuning fork related traffic tick con conviction that you want to take to the Supreme Court of Canada, <laughs> give us a call. Call I'll, Kyla I'll, Lee. I'll try, you know. KylaLee.ca, <laughs> VancouverCriminalLaw.com, 604-685-8889. On Twitter, at IRP Lawyer. That's Kyla. Track her down. She'll do it. This is the Driving Law Podcast, and she is the Driving Law Lawyer. And tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law.